0: When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. I have long struggled with the end of the story of the birth of Jesus as it is told in the Gospel of Matthew. But not necessarily for the reason you might think. It's not because of the whole incident of the slaughter of the innocents. Yes, I know that there is absolutely no historical evidence outside of the Gospel of Matthew for such a massacre, and that historians doubt that it ever happened. But that is not what bothers me. I also know that that episode is absolutely horrific. And even if that massacre didn't happen, it is absolutely the kind of atrocity that Herod the Great was famous for. But that is not what bothers me either. (laughs) Unfortunately, such terrible slaughters have happened again and again throughout the history of the world and we need to face up to that truth what i have some issues with is the very end of the story matthew tells us that when mary and joseph were on their way back from egypt where they had taken refuge from king herod's massacre they made a sudden course correction. They were heading back to their hometown in Bethlehem, and they decided to redirect towards Nazareth in Galilee instead. So what is wrong with that? Well, it does contradict the Christmas story that we know and love from the Gospel of Luke. Luke says that Mary and Joseph were always from Nazareth and that the only reason Jesus was born in Bethlehem was because they happened to have traveled down there for the census. Here Matthew is saying something quite different. That the couple had always lived in Bethlehem, but that after they returned from Egypt, they made a new home in Nazareth. You see, both Gospel writers had a problem that they needed to solve with their story. They knew, everybody knew that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Many people, that's the only thing they knew about him. But they needed to tell a story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, because they knew that that was where the messiah had to be born luke solved that problem with his famous story of the census matthew does it with this story of a course change on the way back from egypt but none of that is what i have a problem with i get that the gospel writer's main concern was not to get all of the historical details of jesus life right They wanted to make sure that they got the important theological truths about Jesus across. And so long as they could tell a story where Jesus was born in Bethlehem and came from Nazareth, they were not concerned that all the details of how that happened were correct. The problem I have is this. Matthew's explanation... Is kind of lame. He says that Joseph didn't want to return to Bethlehem because Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great, was ruling there. That much makes perfect sense. I mean Herod had tried to kill the boy. It's the part about him choosing, indeed being led by God, to go to Nazareth instead that bothers me because guess who was ruling over Nazareth? A guy named Herod Antipas, who was also the son of Herod the Great and the full brother of Archelaus. If he was trying to avoid dealing with a son of Herod, Nazareth was about the last place Joseph wanted to be. So that's my problem with this story. It seems to be such a weak explanation for why they ended up in Nazareth. Either Matthew was ignorant of the fact that Herod Antipas was also the son of Herod the Great, or worse, he was aware of it and he was just hoping that his readers wouldn't notice. That's the kind of thing that makes me lose respect for a writer. But I've been giving that a lot of thought lately. The truth is, I think that Matthew is a better writer than that. He is not ignorant of basic history. And he always respects his readers. So, I actually think I've been unfair to old Matthew. And perhaps, if I give him the benefit of the doubt, I will discover that there is more to this odd decision to divert to Nazareth than meets the eye. What are we supposed to imagine that the story really was? This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 7.1, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way Home from Egypt. Traveling along the King's Highway that led up the coast of the Mediterranean from Egypt was exhausting at the best of times, but it was doubly so when traveling with a toddler. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Jesus would ask again and again until... Joseph started to feel his sanity fray. What could he say but that there were still many days yet to go? He didn't blame the boy for being in a hurry. How many times had he told Jesus the stories of his hometown, of the house that he had been born in, and the noble family that he belonged to? Of course, Jesus was eager to be there. But the closer they got, the more doubts Joseph felt. They had fled from Bethlehem in Judea in such fear and disarray that he couldn't help but feel anxiety at the prospect of returning. True, Herod, the tyrant, The man who had tried to kill the boy, and succeeded in killing so many others, was dead. That news had been what had prompted him to even think of returning in the first place. The decision had been affirmed in another of those strange dreams that had unerringly led Joseph throughout this whole ordeal. So, of course, they had packed up and headed out. But they were picking up news from fellow travelers going in the other direction as their journey progressed. The word was that Herod had bequeathed the rule of Judea to his son, Archelaus. That in itself was hardly surprising. Of course, Herod would have wanted to keep his kingdom in the family. Now, it was the news about the character of this particular son that was alarming. Archelaus had not yet taken up his throne. Before that could happen, he would have to go to Rome to seek the emperor's approval. But even as he prepared to leave, There had been a massive protest in the temple. The people demanded that those who had carried out some of his father's worst atrocities be punished. Archelaus appeared before the people and promised that their concerns would be addressed. But then he left and started drinking and celebrating with his friends. A few hours later, Archelaus had ordered the legions to enter into the temple where the protesters were still waiting for their demands to be met. The reports were that some 3,000 of them were murdered when they refused to leave. It was really not seeming as if the apple had fallen too far from the tree when it came to Herod's son, Archelaus. Joseph was tormented with indecision. Every step he was taking brought him closer to Judea and seemingly to the clutches of the son of Herod. What should he do? Should he stop? Should he turn around? Had the dreams finally failed him? More news from Judea was spreading. It seemed that Archelaus had now left Judea for Rome, where he would plead with the emperor to receive his kingdom. But he was not the only one who was going. Here was the surprising part, it seemed that a lot of people had decided that Archelaus would not make a very good king. It might have had something to do with those 3,000 dead bodies in the temple. That rulers have opponents is not necessarily news. You get into a position of power, and I can almost guarantee that someone will hate you for it." What was really astonishing in this case was that people were doing something about it. An entire delegation had set sail for Rome to stand in opposition to the very idea of Archelaus receiving his kingdom. And here was the really amazing part. His biggest opponent? was none other than Archelaus's own brother, Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. He was going to stand before the emperor and tell him that his own brother must never be king. When Joseph heard that, it made his head spin. He was used to a world in which powerful people just got their way. In which no one would speak up to those who had power and demand that they do better. Was it possible that Herod Antipas was different? Could he actually be the kind of ruler that cared about things like justice? That night, once they had managed to get the boy to sleep, Mary and Joseph sat up late, discussing the difficult choice that was before them. Joseph laid out all of his concerns to his wife, who immediately understood as she had been hearing all of the same rumors and stories that he had. She like any mother, had strong feelings about the need to protect her only son. We already know that this Archelaus is the same kind of monster that his father was, she said. He has shown it to the world. I don't want to live away from Bethlehem, away from my family and yours. I don't want to lose the house you built for us there either, but I will never feel safe if I know that Jesus is within the reach of a man like Archelaus. But I also know that Jesus has to be raised among his people, and so I am not willing to go farther afield than Galilee where I have heard that there are many Jewish communities. But what of the Herod who now rules there? Joseph wondered. He is no less a son of the tyrant. How can we know that Jesus will be safe from him? We can't, Mary admitted. But, if he opposes his brother, who does such horrible things, How can he be worse than him? Joseph at least felt better for having finally been able to put his concerns into words. But he still felt unsure about what to do as he prepared to sleep that night. Mary's words had at least made him feel as if they might find a way through this whole mess. As he drifted off to sleep, it was Mary's words. How can he be worse? That echoed through his mind. He didn't recall what he dreamt that night, but when he awoke, He just felt better about the Galilean option, and so, when the family finally arrived within the bounds of Archelaus' kingdom, they turned away from the main body of travelers, most of whom were heading for Jerusalem, towards the north. Nazareth was not a big place. It was little more than a village of maybe a couple hundred families, hidden away in the Galilean Hills. Surely no one, least of all the officials of Herod Antipas, would notice them in such a place. Nazareth was small, but it was only a few hours away from the city of Sepphoris That also recommended it. Sepphoris was Herod's new capital. But he had only just named it as such. And it was still under construction. Surely Joseph would be able to get work there. On the various job sites. Even better. So desperate would people be for the labor. That he could probably work under the table. And there would be no documentation. It wouldn't pay well, but hopefully they would manage to get by. Mary and Joseph had been right about Archelaus. His rule over Judea quickly went from bad to worse. And they often heard reports of his cruelty, even in Nazareth. So extreme was his evil that by the time that Jesus came to the age when he was responsible to keep the law for himself, the Romans had had enough. They took his kingdom from him and exiled him far away in the West. I wish I could say that Herod Antipas was better And maybe he was from the Roman point of view, but he was hardly lacking in his own evil and cruelty. When John the Baptist spoke up against him, he did not hesitate to arrest him and then take off his head. And when eventually Jesus came to his attention, he vowed to kill him too. Of course, he wouldn't get the chance to do that, but that is another story. So, I'm not entirely sure that Mary and Joseph's choice worked out for the reasons that they had in mind, but you know how it is. You have to make a choice because you are forced to somehow, it seems, the choices that we make have a way of working their own way out. It seemed to me that this story in the Gospel of Matthew was a good one to start a new year with. January is a time when people tend to look forward and look back and try to make the choices and resolutions that will set them on a good path for the future. That is all well and good. But we sometimes think that such decisions have higher stakes than they really do, as if our very lives depend on getting the choice right. We feel like we are deciding between living under the evil King Archelaus or under the wise and good Herod Antipas. At first glance, the choice may seem that stark, but if you dig into the choice, just like if you dig into the story about the return from Egypt, it is rarely so clear. We live in a world where we, like Mary and Joseph, often feel as if we have little control over who will be in charge. You see that, for example, when people say things like, if Trump becomes president, I'm moving to Canada. Or, here in Canada, When people say, if Pierre Polievre becomes prime minister, or maybe if Trudeau gets in again, I'm moving to the U.S. or someplace else. People say that, but you've probably noticed that they rarely do it. Because they don't actually mean it. It's just a way of saying that you feel powerless about the whole situation. Well, Mary and Joseph did it. Or at least, Matthew tells us that they did. And I think that what Matthew may be really saying is that even if their choice was based on insufficient information, and so wasn't really the choice that they thought it was, they were under the care of someone who not only had better information, but also had a plan to make it all work out. So, make your choices, the best you can. That's all that any of us can do. But when you choose, don't torture yourself over the options that you rejected. That doesn't serve anyone well. Go forward with confidence, or, to use another word for the same thing, with faith. Sure, things probably won't work out exactly as you anticipated, but maybe they'll lead to something magnificent that you never planned on. Happy New Year. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. And do leave a review on your podcast provider to help other people find and appreciate this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is A by Kevin MacLeod. And the mood music for this episode is, appropriately, The Road Home by Alexander Nakarada. The music is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at filmmusic.io. You can contact me on Twitter at retellingbible and on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks again to my Patreon supporters who back this podcast. You are amazing people. If you'd like to join them or discover the benefits they receive, go to patreon.com slash retelling the Bible. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.